You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast, your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm listening to our own echo in this room. That's what I'm listening to right now. It's kind of, uh, hello. No, it's not bad. I, we have some new equipment, a, a, a few little bits of new equipment here in the, the quote unquote podcast studio slash our new office slash uh, lunchroom. Our cube of glass. It is a cube of glass. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's it's beautiful, yes. I, I should say. So now we, we've moved from Santa Monica and we're now sort of in the heart of downtown L.A. Yes, we've we've made a move down here. We are in a co-working space, our quote-unquote West Coast office, if you will, which really just consists of the two of us. <laughs> more more like West Ghosts, am I right? <laughs> yes. Uh, so yeah, we have a new space down here in downtown LA, um, which is pretty amazing because it puts us in such close proximity to so many good downtown breweries. Yeah, I mean, I mean a real close proximity. Yeah. So we're we're actually right above Carl Strauss's downtown Los Angeles uh, location, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, they have a number of different locations all over Southern California. Um, I know they just opened a brand new one in Anaheim, right across the street from the Big A. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really nice place. Uh, there's There has been a, a kind of a small restaurant in Irvine that I've gone to a couple of times, met some friends there. But it's sort of like when you go to Disneyland, that is the craft beer they have, right? It's it, Carl Strauss is big enough to where they're able to land the downtown Disney contract or they're able to <laughs> land the uh, California adventure contract. And so uh, when I'm at the happiest place on earth, that's typically the beer I'll get like a nice tower 10 or, you know, something that'll, that'll kind of beat the Southern California heat being, uh, being you frequent that place quite a bit. So I, <laughs> Oh yes, <laughs> I would, I would assume that you, ha- you have that tap list on lock very you, much. You, so. you know what's going on. Oh yeah, that is for sure. So to celebrate our first show in our new office right above Carl Strauss, we decided to pick up one of their beers to try this week. Yeah, hometown hometown, uh, fans here, you know? Yes, exactly. So today we are going to be opening up a crowler, because I just started offering that, of Controlled Chaos. It is a sour ale, uh, 4.7%, and it's described as a sour wheat ale or kind of a goza uh, with apricots. So it's basically a fruited sour wheat beer, more or less. It's a big boy. <laughs> they say it'll last uh, up to 30 days on the outside here, and I, I believe it. It's basically just straight from the tap into a completely sealed, uh, light, uh, unexposed vessel. All right, right off the bat, I feel like there's. it's definitely um, got the tartiness, but you get some apricot, yeah. I feel like, right off the, the aroma. Like, like uh, stone fruit skin, you know, sort of like the uh, after you've washed an entire container of peaches or apricots or or things like that you get sort of that um it is kind of barnyard but it is very much fruit and and juicy fruit it's got a nice head on it um big bubbles not not like velvety or anything um poured pretty it's pretty opaque as well yeah it can't cannot see through it's gold it's got a nice little golden kind of orangey thing like you'd expect from like a wheat ale yeah um cannot see anything through it no but even if you get a bit of tartness on the nose the flavor is very well balanced it's kind of got this um 
slight tart. We've said sweet tart before. I get a sweet tart finish, but not not at first. I get like a lot of sort of mild wheat um, juiciness a little bit, um, but not overly uh, tart or overly sour. Kind of very well balanced with sweet. Yeah, it feels very approachable. Yeah, um, for, for a for a sour ale, of course. Exactly. For anyone who has never really tried it or something along those lines, like it's not at all causing any sort of um, puckering. Pucker. Or... No, 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 no. It reminds me a lot, actually, of our pickle episode where we did the uh, dill pickle uh, sour ale. Mm-hmm. What was it? A dill pickle goza? Yeah, it was a goza. And it, it reminds me a lot of that. It's very crushable. Yeah. Um, not overly tart. Even even though um, you can get very underripe apricots and they don't taste great. Apricots, apricots. What do you say? Uh, apricot. Apricot. Yeah. That may be a California thing. We both grew up here, so <laughs> I think other other parts of the country might say apricot. Yeah. Either way. Um, I, I like this one. I like this one a lot. I should, I'll be frank, this is the second time I've got this and I've rated it before on Untapped. So if you go back in history, you'll see I've had this twice. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. So, yesterday was a special day, wasn't it? It really was. Yeah. I mean, other than the fact that we had just moved into our brand new office, it was a spectacular day, I think, for our, our core audience, sort of like, you know, craft beer folks who, who got into craft beer looking for the most extreme beers, right? Hops, just uh, like mouth, mouth uh, destroying, palate wrecking hops. <laughs> yes, indeed. If you are listening to this uh, podcast, you are most likely aware that yesterday, August 2nd, was IPA Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an international celebration of one of the most iconic and popular beer styles, the India Pale Ale. Yeah, I appreciated some of the the jokes from beer Twitter basically saying like, oh, what an oft-forgotten style. So glad it has its own day. <laughs> this is true. But I mean, why not? Yeah. We've got a badge for it, so... Why yeah, not? As we do every year, we have a core badge available for usually about one day only um, for checking into any India Pale Ale. Um, I thought it would be interesting to, now since we're recording the day after, to take a little recap of yeah. the beers. So we're going to take a look at this year's top 10 IPAs that were checked in and used to unlock the IPA Day 2018 badge. So the first one on the list is from Founders Brewing. It is their all-day IPA. Uh, which we will get into a little bit more details later, but there's actually a badge for that one as well. So doubling up, I see those badge hunters wanting to get both in one go. Yeah. Um, if you haven't had it, that's a really solid session IPA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It comes in, I believe, 12 packs uh, at, at local places. Yeah. I, I've seen, I feel like I've seen an entire palette of all-day IPA. Oh, yeah. but I, I'm pretty sure it's bottles cans they've also got the the tall can i think like the stovepipe can yeah yes i've seen more and more of those uh for like you know real crushable real sessionable beers it's widely available and it's also not too expensive either which is mm-hmm. nice yeah yeah uh second one we have here is lagunitas ipa uh followed by bell's two-hearted ale mm. that's a solid one mm-hmm. uh next up is goose ipa from goose island next up is cigar city's highlight Followed by a punk IPA from Brewdog. That was kind of surprising. I don't I see don't, that around as much. No, uh-uh. But this uh-uh. is an international badge, and I know they have a pretty high international following, yep, so yep. that might make sense there. Uh, Hazy Little Thing from Sierra Nevada. Um, Making waves right now. 
really. I mean, it's if you're looking for the most widely distributed hazy IPA, that's it right now. Most, yeah, I would definitely agree on that. Uh, it was 60 minute IPA from Dogfish Head. Mm-hmm. Then you have Space Dust IPA from Elysian. And rounding out, we have a uh, Vedette Extra Session IPA from Duvel, which we actually just discussed last week, the badge we have for that one. Yeah. So that makes sense. I like that all of these are just, they embody a lot of what, when you tell someone what is an IPA, one of these, one of these 10 are definitely one that I would recommend uh, for someone to try if they've never tried one before. Oh yeah, 60 minute IPA is definitely a... Uh, that's heavy. That's, that's It's a heavy, but it's a, it's a good <laughs> intro. Yeah. Um, I mean, Lagunitas IPA, Two Hearted Ale is a good one. Um, it's a little, I feel like it's a little more on like the malty mm-hmm. hoppy side. Yep. Yep. Um, so it's a nice mellow balance. Balanced there. one. Yeah, yeah. It's a good one. Um, I would say the first IPA I ever had was uh, Racer 5 from Bear Republic. I think that might be, that might be the same. Yeah. It was available at a Slater's 5050 bar here in uh, Anaheim Hills. And I went and got like a 50, they're, they're called Slater's 5050 because they make 50% beef, 50% ground bacon burgers. What? So I was always wondering where the 5050 came from. When you're looking to cut the amount of, uh, pig fat, pork fat in a burger, you go for something like a racer five. It was great. I, I think maybe that first experience was what caused me to not really bounce off of IPA super hard. I, at the time I was into wheat beers, um, sort of like slightly sour wheat beers, like the one we're drinking today, something more on the fruit side, but that was, that was a good first experience. I think I was actually, I was wrong. So racer five was the fourth IPA I've checked in. First one I had was Ranger from new Belgium, which I don't think exists anymore because they moved on to the voodoo Ranger line. Right. Right. I think, um, well, well, we talked about Ranger being one of those that is available like on flights and stuff. Yes. Um, so I think I've, I think I've had the Ranger from there, but outside of that, yeah, it's not one that I, again, even racer five is, is not one that I, I typically will seek out much anymore. Um, it's, I don't know. It's definitely a fallback and a go-to. Yeah. Go if a, it's around a, a go-to. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So speaking of Founders All Day IPA, we actually have a brand new badge available for this. It is the Ultimate Session with All Day IPA from Founders Brewing. Um, As we are well aware here in Southern California, summer is here and it's time to break out those cool, crisp session beers. This complex yet balanced IPA comes in at 4.7% and offers a clean, refreshing finish to stave off that summer heat. Uh, at 4.7% and cold, that is something that you're going to be enjoying all day long while you're out doing whatever you're doing for those summer days. It's not one of those IPAs either, one of those session IPAs that just hits you in the face with hops either. It's very, very well balanced, I think, 40, 42 IBU, so l- kind of low on the on the IPA spectrum, I think. You can unlock this one by checking into one all-day IPA during the month of August. Sounds pretty good right about now in this heat, right? Yeah, it really does. Our friend John Holzer from the Four Brewers podcast is back with some more great homebrewing tips and tricks for you. Here's John with more. Hey everyone, John here from Four Brewers and I'm back with another homebrew tip. Today we're talking about two books that I uh, kind of reference all the time when I'm brewing beer and... uh, 
They have helped me become a pretty decent brewer at this point. Uh, the first one is written by John Palmer. It's called How to Brew. This book is like a homebrewer's Bible. It's basically the modern day version of The Complete Joy of Homebrewing by Charlie Papazian. Uh, it's, it's awesome. It's got like the first part of the book basically gives you this quick run through on homebrewing and gets you up and started with brewing a batch of beer in no time. Like it's just like, forget all the details, forget this, forget that, just do this, do this, do this, and you're good to go. In addition to that, there's so much information in here. Like you could just spend hours and hours and hours going over this stuff. Mash pH. I'm looking at the book right now. Um, when you're steeping specialty grain malts for extract brews and different malts and color contributions, water, water is such a huge part of beer and brewing and pH when you're, uh, doing a mash and pH uh, for your finished beer. Like so much goes into brewing beer and this book has it all. Uh, my book is wrinkled and uh, kind of gross looking at this point. Uh, I spent a good month going through uh, the the parts of the book that talk about, you know, chemistry when in regards to like uh, grains and water and how that stuff interacts and how the the darker grains add more acid and the lighter grains don't have enough acid. So you have to add acid to your mash and all this stuff. You can go completely in depth with this book, but you can also get up and brewing in no time with this book because like the first part of the book is just talking about how to brew your first batch of beer. The second book is uh, Brewing Classic Styles and it's also written by John Palmer but with uh, Jamil Zanishev, who is the owner. And uh, I don't know if he's a head brewer or director of brewing operations or what he does. He's over at a uh, heretic brewing company. They wrote a book called Brewing Classic Styles. And I'm just mentioning this book because it's a good reference for classic styles of beer. Like, you know, as a new home brewer, you might want to just go out there and like start brewing like a hazy IPA or some massive West Coast IPA or like a huge Imperial Stout or I don't know, maybe a Hefeweizen or something. And this book uh, will pretty much give you everything you need to know about classic styles of beer. It's a good baseline book. It's a good point of reference uh, for uh, brewing beer as a home brewer. So those are my two recommendations, Brewing Classic Styles and How to Brew, uh, both by John Palmer and Brewing Classic Styles by John Palmer and Jamil Zanishev. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. You can catch more from John and the whole Four Brewers crew over at fourbrewers.com or subscribe to their show wherever you listen to podcasts. We were iTunes charts buddies on the food section for a little while. I saw that. I sent it over to John. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. Go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code podcast at checkout to get 20% off all orders. That's store.untapped.com coupon code podcast to get 20% off. Let's move on to our style of the week segment and take a look at this week's featured beer style. Here's Tim with more. So we've talked a lot about different styles of wild ales. Um, We've had the Flanders, we've had the Goza, uh, we've been through a few, um, but since we are having a, what kind of this uh, American sour mm-hmm. sour wheat thing, I thought I'd just look at kind of an overview of the American sour, okay, um, and just where that where it is now. I think is is more appropriate for most things that are American, mainly because we don't have a whole lot that's rooted in history, right? We've been emulating a lot of styles here in the U.S. that were popular. Uh, let's say in Belgium or in Germany or yep. and trying to bring a little bit of that, that old world flair 
to uh, kind of the the American sensibility, if you would, <laughs> right? Like we want to just you take an, an old style and you kind of crank it to eleven. That is uh, as one hundred percent true. Yeah, like I yes, exactly. That's what, that's what the West Coast IPA is, right? It's what it's what all these these beers that we're drinking today are. Yes, indeed. Uh, so as we've learned with some of our previous uh, styles that we've covered on the show, um, before the advent of refrigeration and the advances in the science of fermentation uh, in the mid-19th century, almost every beer was sour to some degree. I mean, you look at, um, you know, Dark Ages and um, just the Dark fact, beers. Yeah. Well, just the fact that there's no such thing as sanitation. Right. Right. You, you get this wild bacteria in there and it just goes crazy. Yeah. Um, the, the culprits of this pre-modern sanitation um, were poorly understood and often naturally occurring bacteria, including lactobacillus. And I'm going to rely on Kyle for this one because he always gets these right and I don't. Pediococcus? Pediococcus? Pediococcus. Okay, let's Pediococcus. go Pediococcus. That I'm going to go with pediococcus. All right. One more time. <laughs> <laughs> pediococcus. We don't have the bell here. I know. We gotta move yeah, where's that. the bell? The, I forgot to pack it. Aye. Oh, um, as well as uh, Bretomyces yeast, which can contribute a hint of tartness and characteristics of funky flavors and aromas, which we've covered to an extent throughout the show. Yeah, quite a bit. Um, interestingly enough, um, you know, we, we see sours everywhere now and think, oh, okay, well, there's a sour, there's a sour, there's a variant on the sour. But um, interestingly enough, commercially available Belgian sour beers first came to the United States in the 1970s, hmm. um, kind of laying the groundwork for ever tartar domestic styles. Um, brewers, especially in the United States, have embraced the Belgian art of deliberately infecting your beer with quote unquote wild bugs um, that generations of their predecessors so painstakingly eradicated. I mean, right. the advancements in technology, the whole point was to try and sanitize and make things clean. And here we are doing the exact opposite of that. Granted, it's not, you know, an open air rotting wood dripping rainwater vat right it's, it's, it's not it's, it's not because it's uh, lab grown bacteria for the most part injected right it is a controlled environment and a scientific process rather than this um, luck of the draw yeah bacteria gone wild you know you don't know you don't know what you're getting the result of this deliberate infection really was a pleasantly sour food-friendly beer mysteriously complex and engaging and i think that really does help describe a lot of sour beer it's it's pleasing it pairs well with many things mm -hmm. and it it is very complex and keeps you wanting to come back for more there obviously on the scale it goes up and down some are just like tart as the fact that there is a scale i think is the most approachable part about a sour and especially an american sour because not only can you add other ingredients to sort of have it veer off of that scale and be like you know this one's more fruited this one's more funky this one but on the scale of sour versus kind of you know tepid not 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 super sour yeah it can be anywhere in between. It can be almost undrinkable, but it can be super crushable like what we're having today. The uh, Cantillon Brewery, founded in 1900 in Brussels, um, it still brews the most uncompromising example, specializing in lambic and spontaneous fermented sour ale and aged lambics. So mm -hmm. all that kind of traditional Belgium stuff. And uh, inspired by Cantillon and other Belgian brewers, a crew of American rebels really began pursuing the art of sour beer. Um, it's interestingly enough, uh, some articles that I read through stated that Michigan's Jolly Pumpkin is actually credited with brewing some of the first good all wood fermented American sours in the early 2000s. 
early 2000s. Wow. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say that that's the first sour beer brewed here, but they, the article described it as first good all wood fermented American sour. So Got it. Okay. There are some uh, caveats to so, that. Sort of bringing the artisanal like um, art focused way of doing American sours rather than it being this sort of kettle soured like you're adding a very precise amount of um, souring to a particular beer, right? I've never had one from Jolly Pumpkin, unfortunately. They do make some pretty solid sours from what I remember hearing from friends. They look beautiful. I, the beers that I'm, look, I'm seeing here on Untapped look great. Nice looking bottles. We have examples of that sort of here in California as well. Um, folks doing strictly uh, sour ales. Yes. And that, that sort of being their thing. Um, in this article, they also put a shout out to Lost Abbey down in San Marcos. Yep. Um, as well as Russian River. Yeah, yep. Yeah, those the bottles that uh, Jolly Pumpkin come in look like Russian River bottles to me. I think Monkish out here also started that way, where they were doing a lot of uh, barrel-based brewing. Uh, good beer, I've mentioned them a number of times. I apologize if this, if this is your 11th time hearing me talk about them, but they're out in Santa Ana in Orange County. They make very good beer as well. Oh, I have had, I did have a sour ale from Jolly Pumpkin. Um, a pock, this is just, I'm going to make you terrible. say this one. A pock, pockalockin, posis, poco, apocalosynopsis, apocalosynopsis. Okay. I think I finally got it after 50 <laughs> tries there. Okay. I remember I had that at a, a bottle share. It's like pink and blackberries and lime. And I remember it being amazing. Huh? So huh. there we go. I did have one and I can vouch for that. A little bit more on kind of the technical side of um, sours. Um, the acidity present in sour beer is usually in the form of lactic, acetic, or other organic acids naturally developed with um, acidified malt in the mash or produced during fermentation by the use of various microorganisms. Some of those we attempted to pronounce earlier. <laughs> yeah. And this is, I mean, this is, we've talked about this a number of times that it is these uh, bacteria c causing the sort of acidification of of this stuff yeah these beers may derive their sour flavors from pure cultured forms of souring agents or from the influence of barrel aging which is more of that natural infection right um sour beer really is kind of like a blanket term um I, there are a lot of different subsets that fall under here um a lot of different things that kind of fall on the same level sour really is used to describe um the flavor and can encompass so many different things as opposed to just like this specific style of sour. Sure. Even, I mean, you, you could say this is a sour beer, but in itself it was brewed like an IPA. Yeah. Well, you, and then you have, you have the Goza, you have the Lambics, you have the Flanders, you have all these things that are sour. Right. Granted they have their own characteristics and are their own style. So you can't really, we know not to refer to them as sours. We know to refer to them as their specific styles. Um, but obviously like saying sour beer is going to be a very general term for somebody who doesn't, go down the style it's, rabbit hole. It's kind of a red flag too. When you go to a place like BevMo or you're in, you know, a bottle store and they want to make sure like you're going to be pleased with your purchase and you're not buying strictly for the beautiful label that a lot of times these, me, me, <laughs> these sour me. beers will have. And you think it looks beautiful. The bottle's beautiful, the shape, everything, right? You get it home, you crack it open and it's a funk. Like it's woo. Yeah. And I've run into that too, where you're like, Oh, I'm going to get this sour beer and it's less on the sour, more on the wild funkiness. Mm -hmm. And it's a little underwhelming 
I mean, it, it, you it, might it like changes that, your expectation yes. of, of what you thought you would be getting. Exactly. Speaking of purchasing, too, there are a few, um, a couple of terms we can cover here relating to sours when you're out there looking for something to purchase or to order. Um, first up, we have kind of the kettle sour beer, um, which I believe is more of what we're having right now. Um, that's when bacteria is added during the fermentation process to kind of spike the wort and force that um, that sourness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have barrel-aged um, sours, which the natural bacteria in the wood of the barrels, um, it's that wild stuff in there that causes the sourness as it ages in that barrel. Right. And then another one is the wild fermentation, which I did mention for the barrel, but this is more of like, um, the more of like the classic Belgian way of doing things where it just relies on wild yeast from the environment to basically take up residence in the wart and start devouring the sugars and create that weird funky sourness. Let's look at some of the interesting beer articles that we found this week. First up, I think this is going to be right up your alley. Okay. Uh, this comes from uh, the Twin Cities sub of Eater.com. Seven ridiculous new Minnesota State Fair beers and wine flavors. Yes, yes, this is me. <laughs> Just as the new foods announced every year for the Minnesota State Fair, the list of beers made especially for the event get weirder and weirder every year. <laughs> this year's selection seems to have outdone itself with funnel cakes, chocolate chip cookies, cotton candy, and even ouzo making their insidious way into everyone's favorite alcoholic brewed beverage. Uh, this sadist list includes selections from all over the fair and are likely a front to every taste bud on some level or another. I'm so excited. This is, <laughs> you, you know that this is exactly down my alley. Oh, yes, for sure. Uh, the first one on the list here is uh, the Bruzo Lager from Lake Monster Brewing. It is a Pilsner brewed to taste like Greek ouzo, the black licorice-flavored spirit. Have you had Uzo? No. It's a little weird. I don't I can't stand uh anise or black, black licorice. licorice or fennel even. I I've I'm getting a little closer to liking fennel, but I like fennel tops and not really the whole like rooty part of the fennel. It's <laughs> way too like black licor- well, licorice flavor. This one actually comes served in a glass that has a sugar spiced rim. Okay. So you, that that sounds okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's a uh, 5.4% and 40 IBUs, so it's a pretty solid... Um, Lager at lager 40 there. IBUs, yeah. yeah. It's going to be pretty solid. That sounds really good. I, I'm, I I'm, like black licorice. Okay. I don't remember liking ouzo, um, so I don't know. It could be could be good, could be not. I, I'm, I, I would be willing to try it. Yes. I, I would hope you'd be willing to try everything on here. It's true. That's true. Oh, got to be open-minded, right? If we're gonna if we're gonna have a beer podcast, got to be open-minded about these kind of that things. That's very true. Um, the next one I believe is actually a wine, but it made the list because it's very interesting. Um, right. It's called Cotton Candy Bubble Trouble. Uh, it's from Cannon River Winery, and it's cotton candy and sparkling elderweiss wine. Um, basically, say <laughs> it sounds like a mega sugar hangover. It does. Yeah, it comes in at eleven percent ABV. That's heavy, but you got to think cotton candy. It's got one ingredient. It's sugar. Yes. It, 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 that's all it is. So if you're trying to embody that. Combined with sparkling wine, going to go straight into your system. Sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. No, I mean, I've, I've had some cocktails with cotton candy, like, stashed on on top and it melts into the drink. Mm-hmm. That's pretty solid, mm-hmm. I will say. <laughs> but also, I'm a sugar fiend at times. So, yeah, you know. I gotcha. Well, speaking of sugar. Uh, yep. Next up here we have is a funnel cake cream ale from Lakefront Brewery uh, at 4.7%. 
Uh, there wasn't really a solid description on this, but I mean, I funnel cake the, beer. I would say the number one component that you get from funnel cake is the topping of powdered sugar. So what you want to get is sort of that like melted powdered sugar taste, but doughy. Because you want that. But but yeah, but kind of like chewy, doughy. It got a lot of body. Yes. The the description of the article kind of said like, you know, donut beer has been done pretty well. So Mm -hmm. this one could actually turn out pretty decent. It sounds sounds really good. Uh, I think cream ale is the right one to go with. Oh, for for sure. Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Next is caked up celebration beer from Mankato. Mankato, Mankato. You you say tomato, I say mancato. Yeah, mancato brewery, deep fried cake beer. So that would be my fear with the funnel cake beer that it would taste like oil. Yeah, burny, crisp, fried. Right. Obviously, I mean, maybe they're actually putting funnel cake into the beer, but in this case, is is cake going into the beer? It's described as a lightly hopped with vanilla aroma and a sweet cake reminiscent finish. So hmm. maybe with lactose or or something that kind of. Gives, it, gives a it that milky kind of flavor. Potentially. Uh, this one's 5% and 20 IBUs, so it's pretty light on the bitterness. So I wonder how it's probably going more for the vanilla cake sweetness. Mm-hmm. It sounds good. I, I would still try that one. Celebration beer? I guess it's like a birthday celebration? <laughs> not not like uh, celebration ale. Right? Yes, correct. Okay. Uh, and the last one that I pulled from the list is a Spumoni Tsunami from Bad Weather Brewing. Um, great name. If you if you don't know Spumoni, which I honestly just kind of was reintroduced to recently, um, it's kind of like Neapolitan ice cream, you know, your chocolate, strawberry, vanilla, except um, it's layered gelato made with strawberry, chocolate, and pistachio ice cream. I've never had pistachio ice cream, so I couldn't say. It can be good and it can be bad uh, at times. If you get a... You can either get like a dry pistachio, sort of like more on the Persian side of of the ice cream, or sometimes folks will candy the pistachios. And in those cases, I I typically don't like them because it's too much sugar. But when they do that, it keeps the pistachios from getting too soggy inside the ice cream. So if you can if you can imagine just sort of like grabbing a handful of pistachios from a hot car where they're kind of like oh the oils inside it are kind of chewy Listen, you're not selling me here uh it's it's not like that i okay, guess good. yeah <laughs> good i don't want to feel like that <laughs> so this beer is uh, strawberry and vanilla are brewed into this beer and it's served with a pistachio garnish so there's your connection okay so there. you'll get some crunch yeah. Maybe it could be it could be that inside the the actual spumoni, I may not know this, but the pistachio gelato has no actual pistachios. It's just kind of green. With From the what flavor. I looked at, it does actually have them. Mm, okay. Some of the resources I looked up. There. Okay. All right. Uh, this one's a 4.8% and 10 IBUs, so it's probably going to border more on the sweet and less on the bitter. It sounds great. It sounds really good. You got to uh, you got to hand it to state fairs for having all the funky, weird stuff. They just keep keep going and going. This is, I mean, this is for sure what you want to have up against your deep fried Oreos, your <laughs> like uh, deep fried insert, whatever it is here, right? Yeah. Your, your, uh, bacon taco where the shell is bacon and the, the inside is mashed potatoes. Like you, oh my gosh, you can get anything. I should say the, the reason why I love this so much is because I f- very frequently will play a game called fair or not. And you oh, yes. maybe, maybe we'll play that one, one day, but you have to guess whether or not the food food right. is fair from that fair or not. Oh, that's if it's great. If it's fake or real. I don't want to take your other ideas, but I would <laughs> take love my shtick. I would love to do that sometime. 
<laughs> beer or not. I think uh, I don't want to cross the streams too much, but uh, but that no, would be no, fun. I wouldn't. Yeah, that would be real fun. The next article we have here comes from vinepair.com. 10 telltale signs that you're in a legit brewery. Okay. All right. I would, I'm going to guess. I didn't look at the article yet. Smell. Is smell number one? No, it's not. But I would, I, it's, now that you say that, yes. What about a cat? I think it has to have a cat. A brewery cat. Okay. You know, to, to ward off the, the, the mice or whatever. No, you've never seen brewery cats. I love the Instagram accounts for brewery cats. Just t- take a look. I'll, I'll put be, some in the show notes. Please do. <laughs> the article says that at last count, there are more than 6,200 breweries in the U.S. And while we love them all, we know that statistically they all can't be great. Um, in some cases, a brewery may be run by earnestly passionate people trying their damnedest to put out a delicious beer, but who are simply not very good at running a business. It's not easy. It's easy to see who's got skin in the game once you figure out what to look for. And here are 10 telltale signs that a brewery you're in is legit. Okay. The first one they have up here is there's more beer than merch. <laughs> I do love good merch. I'm wearing, I'm, I'm wearing some right now <laughs> that, I, that I got from uh, Stereo Brewing out in Anaheim. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't I'm not sure if I can fully get on board with this. They say basically a true brewery is committed to the craft, not cash, meaning they focus on the liquid, not cool merch. It's but business. You got to get your brand out there. Yeah. Instagram only gets you so far. It really does. And, and, and I don't mind, honestly. Like, I love supporting, I love supporting beer making however I can, whether that is by drinking beers or by buying swag. Why, why if I am completely inebriated and am unable to have more of the beers at the brewery, I'm going to go buy a t-shirt. I'm going to go buy a hat. I want to be able to support that brewery that I like so much that I'm willing to actually wear their stuff. That's my thought on it. I, so I don't think, I don't think number one on here is that great vinepair.com, but, <laughs> but let's, let's see what else they have to say. Uh, the beer follows flavors, not trends. Okay. All right. So you're just... The idea is you're trying to brew a good beer, not just a trendy, hip Instagram beer. Okay. I, I understand the the desire to get to try and impart like, hey, guys, you can be better than trends uh, feel out of this. But at times, it's what sells beer. So a lot of, I think, at breweries at this point are doing like, yeah, they've got a hazy IPA, but they're also trying this other stuff with a Kolsch or with, you know, whatever else, some new style. Uh, I do appreciate the shout out in this one. These days, pretty much every brewery is making an IPA to stay afloat, even if it doesn't want to. But a brewery that really cares will have more options than Untapped's flavor of the week. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Good. Put on blast. Good, good point, Vine Pear. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> I see you. Uh, another one, number three here, is the list is always changing, which I can agree with too. I mean, yeah. most of our local breweries, like, they have one or two, maybe three things that are always on, and then everything else changes, and you might not ever see it again. Yep. Yeah, I love getting push notifications. Even if I know I'm not going to go out to a brewery this weekend, I keep those push notifications on for a verified venue that I love, and just to see the menu updating is enough for me to feel like, oh yeah, they're, they're still making stuff. They're, they're still churning stuff out, or an old favorite is back. Like this morning, I got a, got a push notification for uh, Ghostbusters from noble oh so that's back but you know that kind of stuff right like 
sort of makes me think that they're continuing to push the boundaries or they're bringing favorites back or things like that. Number four is the bartenders are excited to serve you even and especially if you know nothing about beer. So I like this. 100%. So you go into a brewery and you sit down and you want to order something you don't know what to get. And instead of just like scoffing at you about not knowing anything, they'll help educate you. They'll teach you because it's their passion. Yep. Yeah. That always makes for a nice environment. Yeah. I can't, I can't stand uh, places that would turn up their nose at someone who didn't know about beer. I mean, that's, that's the whole point of craft beer is to educate and get people on board with supporting local business. Number five, you can sample beers or order a flight or small pour. Yeah, love that. Yep, I feel like that's a that's a standard for most um, most breweries that you go to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they make a point that you know sometimes a brewery gets busy and can't handle it, but um, you know if you if they want you to try different things so that you can find what you like to keep coming back. Yeah, yeah, especially if you don't know. Um, what a particular style is or if they made a change to it and instead of fruiting it with one thing they did it with another yep and this one actually kind of falls under your number one um, number six everyone is working their asses off um, this one they say don't be alarmed by steamy malt aromas buckets of bubbling liquid snaking hoses or sweaty grunting brewers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which i mean for sure most a lot of the breweries that um we frequently you could see somebody just back there working away trying to brew something they've got two people on staff one person is working incredibly hard to serve all of the patrons out front and one person's working incredibly hard to brew the beer out back it's i i appreciate breweries that let you see that from the tasting room yeah i do too i think that what's that's what differentiates the whole tasting room versus brewery in in my opinion um where it's brewing on premises you know today we're drinking a beer from carl strauss that was actually brewed here. I think that that makes it a, a a big point about like, yeah, this there are tanks here, fermenters. You know, you got you have everything. It that makes it a brewery. Yes, indeed. Number seven. Everyone is talking about beer. I think that's that's a given. <laughs> Most folks will have uh, have the untapped app out too. <laughs> checking <laughs> that's, it. That's yeah. Indeed. <laughs> uh, number eight. Community is evident. Whether it's uh, local artists' work on the walls, a flyer for a monthly farmer's market, or beer on tap that's benefiting a charity, good breweries do good for their communities. And I love this when breweries get involved. And I feel like a lot of downtown LA breweries, always some sort of a charity event or you know flyers from someone. Right. Right. Always trying to help out. Yeah. Yeah. They'll they'll do uh, event nights or things like that where all of the proceeds for a particular thing are one percent or whatever. And I think uh, more companies are moving to that whole one percent for the planet uh, and breweries are, are getting more involved with that type of thing, too. So whether that's for local communities or just yeah, for the whole planet, you know, we're, we're a community yes. here on, on planet <laughs> Earth. Number nine, they want you to drink their beer and their neighbor's beer. Yes. One hundred percent i love this so uh, when you go and brewery hop down in san diego it's likely you're going to two or three places right you're going to five or six places you're going to have a beer at everywhere that you can because they're they are in so close proximity competition is not really a thing it's competition to get shelf space to get like store placement but when you're out at the brewery and you're going from place to place they want to help shuttle you there. They want to make sure that you're enjoying yourself and know of all the places nearby. Um, I think I think breweries down there are doing a good job of, of doing that. They've got things like Brewers Guild, right? The OC Brewers Guild will have a pamphlet inside. Mm-hmm. You know, here's all the different places that are a part of the Brewers Guild that you can go check out. 
Um, I think that that goes a long way to making it feel like, um, like we are a community, right? Untapped users, brewers, uh, folks who drink beer. Exactly. We're we're all kind of in the same family. Yep. And you know, the competition is more friendly than it is about money. Yeah, it really is. Well, collaborations, right? Yes. What other industry other than maybe cooking or whatever, like you don't, you don't see, uh, music maybe music yeah it's it's artistic endeavors mostly yes. it's it's not like uh 3m and johnson and johnson get together to make a mondo product that is spectacular and will you know clean the floor perfectly <laughs> it's, it's they it's not a collab that you'll ever see because they are in strict competition with themselves with true. each other rather yeah uh last up here number 10 which i think we can all agree with is you want to come back you find a brewery, you like the beer, you like the atmosphere, you will go back. Yeah. Do you have any, like a, a local hangout that feels that way to you, either uh, when you first got into beer or anything like that? Um, one of the places that I would frequent for a while was Angel City down here. Ah, in uh, the, the Arts District, Arts District in uh, yeah. downtown. Um, it, it was a co- very cool space. Um, they opened up and it, the, the place that they're brewing in that space over there is huge and very cool. Um, we would go there a bit. And then when my son was born, um, they have a nice little upstairs area mm-hmm. and we would just go up there and like lay a blanket out and play and, uh, you know, hang out and have some beers. Um, just down the street arts district. That's another one that I frequented quite a, quite a few times. Yeah. They're, they're right down the street from each other. Yep. And, um, I, they make some solid beer. They have a really cool space. Um, but I also like that they have guest taps. So that whole, um, you know, kind of like influencing you to also look at other breweries. Right. I appreciate a, a brewery that has a really good selection, but also knows like, okay, well, we're going to offer up some stuff from some other people that we also like. Um, those are the two places I mostly hang at. Um, but I will say uh, I need to get back down to indie uh, brewing as well. Their space is very cool as we yeah. found out. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there a few times. I really enjoyed that. I think uh, for me, I, uh, when Bottle Logic first opened, it was sort of like, hey, if I want to go out to a brewery, that's the one I go to. I know they have great beer. I know they have a, a fresh tap list every single time I go. Um, they have a, a list of six, uh, you know, yearly, year-round beers that they've got always available. Um, this was like pre their huge explosion and expansion and pre them even planning any of that kind of stuff. So that that made it feel pretty special. I think, uh, it hasn't lost its shine at all though. I think if, if anything, it has grown to be just so, so much better, so much bigger than I could have ever imagined. And, and I think they're, they're doing really well, but yeah, that was my, that was kind of my local hangout. I lived in Brea at the time. So it was sort of, it's pretty close. It was, it was a, a small little hop down the freeway. So it wasn't that bad, but, uh, yeah, good spot, really good spot. All right, our last article today comes from brewbound.com. Uh, Brewers Association reports 5% growth midway through 2018. Uh, growth for small and independent brewers in the U.S. is stable as production at craft beer companies grew 5% through the first six months of 2018, according to data from industry trade group Brewers Association. Okay. I mean, that's good news. That's The, the line's going up. It's not like movie pass, right? It's not like... <laughs> <laughs> Where you're just cutting it off. Yeah. yeah. We're not, it's not at zero. Yes. Which is great. Yes, indeed. 
the nonprofit group today, um, when this article was published, uh, shared its annual mid-year growth figures, noting that there are 6,655 active breweries as of June 30th, which is up from 5,562 the year before. So in a year, we've added... 1100 breweries that's incredible are you kidding i don't even know where they're going i i don't know either what what was uh, speaking of of breweries man that's that is a huge huge number um i've seen a couple of articles recently also talking about the whole uh like micro community right like you're it's super super small it's a neighborhood brewery it is a place that they have three or four beers on tap it's super nano, very small. Yes. Uh, they, they only brew for the local clientele and that's kind of it. And they don't care necessarily about growing. Right. Or they'll, they'll do trendy beers just because that's what's hot right now. And they switch out so frequently that they're able to just, you know, come and go without, you know, impacting, uh, the whole overall, uh, brewery landscape if you would uh, according to the brewers association chief economist uh, bart watson the market continues to show demand for small and independent craft brewers but not all growth is created equal um, watson uh, parsed the data noting that only 60 percent of the regional craft breweries which are those making more than fifteen thousand barrels annually who responded to their organization's mid-year survey were actually growing got it um, retail market data uh, research showed that companies that sold between 100,000 and 1 million cases were actually down about 1.5% midway through the year. Hmm. Um, and those who were selling more than 1 million cases at off-premise retail accounts were down 2.5%. So it's it's those big beers that yes. are sort of in, in a minor decline. Yes, exactly. Because conversely, those breweries that are selling 10,000 cases of beer or less at off-premise retail channels were actually up nearly 31% through July 1st. That's incredible. Wow. So, and, so, uh, and, and then also um, Brewers Association defined companies selling between 10,000 and 100,000 cases were up about 5.5%. So I think it's safe to say that the small breweries are growing the small the small breweries are big yeah and i mean i as you just mentioned like with the the mic like the nano breweries and the micro communities and like the neighborhood brewery i I think that's in a larger um demand now granted those places aren't going to be selling to retail or off-premise so um, right this might not be accurate to those but to the point of like the larger craft brands are seeing a little bit of a decline. Well, I think that's what makes Market those saturation, right? Sure. Yeah. I think that's what makes those small breweries attractive for, for folks to go to is that like, I know I'm not going to be able to get this even if I went down to Applebee's to go see what's on tap, right? Like I'm not going to know what's, what's, it's not going to be at total wine. It's not going to be at all my favorite places. Um, I need to go actually to that brewery, patronize them and patronize, patronize them become a patron of, of their establishment and uh, frequent that place, right? Like, I want to I wanna make sure that I'm helping them directly. It's, it's buying merch. It's drinking their beer. It's like, it's all that stuff where I don't think I'm going to see them ever distribute. They're just going to be here. And maybe, you know, the taco shop down the street, they'll have a keg in there. It's their lager or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, they, it's all just on-premises. I mean, it's good to see, it's good to see growth. Um, obviously we declined never great, but it is, it is nice for those smaller breweries to see such good numbers there. On average, it's up. I think it's a, yeah, it's and that a the article takeaway. does go on to say like, once you calculate everything, like it is still a positive. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think it for us, it's a positive that the education, especially at the the lower level of like get folks interested at a very, very community level, um, is starting to educate folks on craft beer, starting to educate folks on different styles and availability and uh, social meeting places and social drinking and things like that. Things that make um, things that make going out fun, right? Uh, and and make it so that it is not all about uh, grabbing a uh, twenty four pack from the the grocery, grocery store, store yeah. or the the gas station down the street it's it's an it's a craft it's it's sort of an artisanal thing that that folks do for a living and to to make their own living all right now it's time to answer some of your questions is there anything you've wanted to know about untapped or beer or breweries send it over using the hashtag ask untapped on twitter facebook or Instagram. Thanks to folks who have actually sent those in. We are aggregating them every week and taking a look, and we appreciate uh, you guys sending in questions. It's always great to hear, and while we might not be experts, we will always try to get you the best answers we possibly can. Yeah, we may not answer every single question, obviously, um, but we appreciate you guys sending them in, uh, so let's get to one. Sure thing. This week's question comes to us from David on Twitter. He says, several podcast episodes back, y'all mentioned that the styles used in Untapped were different than the standard BJCP styles. I've even noticed sometimes that a brewery will say their beer is X style, but Untapped will list it as Y style. Why is that? So this is the beer judge certification program, right? Yes. And these are the kind of the industry guidelines, if you will, for like brewing competitions, things like that. GABF, right? Like yes. things, things like that. I gotcha. Exactly. And I mean, as we found out recently with um, the addition from the Brewers Association of um, what was it? Juicy Hazy, mm-hmm. uh, Juicy Tropical. I can't remember the exact definition they used, but you know, that wasn't in there and that ended up getting added to the Brewers Association's um, definition. Right. So there, there are so many different styles out there um, that are being created or spun off or just like named on the fly. Yeah. One off and, and things like that. Yeah. That they're not going to make it into the global standards for the beers. And so be- especially at the competition level, right? When you're talking about BJCP, you're talking about like these are being judged for a particular category and if they sort of overexert themselves in all of those categories, you're going to end up with 500,000 beers that you're judging every year. And it, it's not tenable for for that particular organization to do that, right? Yes, indeed. That is correct. Um, and being so community-driven and you know oriented in the fact that users can add beers to Untapped themselves, um, you know, we, we try and make sure that we encompass all the styles we can. Right. And, and make it community driven. We want to make sure that we're taking into consideration what our users think. We want to take into consideration uh, what brewers are doing. We want to take into consideration where they want to go, maybe um, what the hot trend is exactly. right now. Because we can change things on the fly based on your votes, right? So in terms of how things, you know, the, the question there about how a brewery says their beer is X, but on tap list, it is Y. Um, we have slightly different um, style schemes that we've kind of put together that we think are the best to represent the beers that we have um, in the way that organizes them cleanly in our data and that users um, can understand. A brewery might list something as like a blanket style 
and then our category kind of sub-styles it, if you will. Right. I think I think IPA is a great example, right? Like you'll get, um, you know, super hop IPA, just some some generic name. But in actuality, it is an American IPA or it is a New England style IPA. Uh, through the app, we're differentiating based on typically the ingredients that are added, the style description, the flavor notes, things like that, that are... Uh, imparted by the beer itself rather than relying specifically on what the brewery has said about that. Exactly. And instead of just saying IPA, we have what, like maybe 15, 20 different subsets of IPA. We actually just added a whole bunch of new ones here on the 24th of July as well. IPA Brute, which is really hot right now here on the West Coast. And one of my favorites, IPA Milkshake. I was gonna, I saw that. I was waiting for you to, to yes. note that one. You I'm, like, you love those lactose added hoppy. I do. I do. And, and that's the thing. It's like, you sometimes brewers will call them New England style IPAs. Sometimes it'll be a West Coast IPA with lactose added. Um, it's it's more about convenience than it is about being judged uh, for that particular style or even roping it into a particular category. It just better helps um, our users identify a particular beer based on the ingredients that are in it. I think so. If you want to check out more of those style updates. You can go to updates.untapped.com and see the full list of them. We've got a whole bunch on there. Wheat beer, uh, white stouts, coffee porters, things like that. So go go check out that list. And I'll be sure to include a link to this specific post in the show notes. All right. Show notes are available at podcast.untapped.com. And if you've got any questions for us or you've got feedback about the podcast or about the app, be sure to connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's at Untapped Everywhere. Switch things up. We're in a new office. Why not? Right? Uh huh. Just change it <laughs> on the fly. And if you have a second, please head over to Apple Podcasts, rate our show. Um, five stars is much appreciated. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you how to, how to rate, obviously. I won't tell you how to rate on Untapped, but I will tell you uh, absolutely how to rate on our Apple show Podcasts. on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Definitely. And if you have a little extra time, uh, we would really love it if you take the time to write a review. Uh, and leave it there on Apple Podcasts. Um, other people read these reviews and kind of get an idea of what we're doing here on the show. And we always take a look at them and like to, you know, see what you're thinking, how the feedback's going, and incorporate any changes that, you know, might make sense there. Cry um, ourselves to sleep. Whatever, you know. <laughs> we whatever. always love hearing from you whether we're going to be happy or sad. Absolutely. You're right. You're, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you're right. I'm, I'm making light of that, but uh, but we appreciate hearing, hearing from folks. So until next week, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.